Welcome to the Exodus Cry podcast, where we have honest conversations around exploitation, trafficking, sexual culture, and justice. Today, Victoria Gailey, a successful paralegal, mother of two, and a survivor of image-based sexual abuse, joins us to vulnerably share her story. After discovering her non-consensual videos on Pornhub, she testified at the Canadian Parliament ethics hearing against Pornhub and MindGeek, and over the last three years she's been advocating for justice and federal legislative changes to protect other victims. Let's jump into the episode. So Vicky, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy that you're here with us. And uh, we've connected in the past with some events around the Trafficking Hub campaign. And your story is a very sobering story, but a very important story. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just grateful that you're joining us. And just for your voice over these past few years to bring attention to the issues facing the online distribution of pornography and the perils that go along with that. And so if you could maybe just begin by sharing some of your story um, and how it pertains to this whole larger trafficking hub issue, that would be great. Sure. Um, well, first, thank you for having me. Um, you know, I, I always have shared my story just in hopes that it will help others. Um, my story is very complicated. Um, it's one that started in 2018 is when I first discovered that there were non-consensual videos of me on Pornhub. Um, when I first found those videos, um, there was a lot of breakdown that happened at that time. I went through a lot of trauma. Um, there were memories that were repressed. And um, at the time, what I found was um, videos had been made by an, a boyfriend at the time and um, there were different kinds of videos. Uh, some of them were date rape, um, where I didn't have any recollection of the events in the videos, um, other than bits and pieces, little flashbacks that I was getting. Um, other videos were voyeurism, where I had no idea that when we were intimate, the, that, there, that we were being recorded. Um, there were a couple times that he had pulled his phone out on me during intercourse. And um, the first time, I, of course, made him put it up. Um, I've never voluntarily agreed to make any um, pornographic video. Made him put it out, like make him close it. Right, made phone. him put yeah. the phone away. Yeah. Um, and then the second time, I was actually, um, I was pretty intoxicated. And um, I had covered my face with a pillow and... At the time, I didn't realize, you know, if he was recording on his phone, like, for himself or if it was something more I didn't really understand, um, which is what led me to go looking for these videos in the first place. Um, but when you go through trauma like that, um, I mean, I'm a mother of two. I'm a paralegal. I was with one law firm for over 17 and a half years. I worked downtown Nashville. I had, you know, my reputation that I had worked so hard to build. And um, to find those videos at first, I went, like I said, I went through a lot of trauma and um, a lot of memory repression. So um, in 2018, when I first found them and I contacted Pornhub to ask them to take them down, some of the videos were removed. 
um, they were not verified. They were just, um, you know, random videos uploaded, I guess, by anonymous users. And some of them were verified. Um, so there was actually um, a couple in Finland that, uh, in Helsinki, Finland, that claimed these videos were them. And they were under my name. And um, so at the time, like I said, I went through a, a very hard time. Um, I don't know if you'd call it a, a mental breakdown of sorts. Um, but within a week or two, it was like uh, those memories were repressed. And I didn't, ha I didn't have any knowledge, you know, any present knowledge of it. I, it kind of was, I don't know how to explain it. Um, a therapist can. It's disassociation. Um, so I actually continued to see the guy that I was uh, seeing at the time over another two to three years and knowing um, of the situation. So um, during this time period, after finding the videos first in 2018, um, I went through a period where I was self-medicating. I was um, acting out. I was not my typical self. And I didn't understand what it was at the time, but in hindsight, and after going through a lot of cognitive behavior therapy, after talking to my therapist, my psychiatrist, and you know, getting the treatment that I needed and processing all of this, um, I went through a period where I was self-destructive. Um, and even though the, these memories weren't in my conscious mind, they were there, and I was like self-sabotaging. So there was a time period where I was going out partying a lot, over drinking, um, you know, experimenting with drugs. Um, I had basically lost all of my self-worth and I didn't know why, um, but it was apparent to everyone around me that something was wrong. And um, so it wasn't until 2020 when I started getting the flashbacks of the things that had happened, the videos. Um, things that had happened on a trip that we took to Las Vegas. Um, people were sending me messages um, on Facebook Messenger saying, um, Vicki, this looks like you. And then, you know, there would be a link with it. And typically when you get something like that, you don't click on the link because you think it's a scam, you know, um, and you think someone's account has been hacked. So I, I ignored a lot of those messages. Um, I didn't really understand. There was a lot of cognitive dissonance. Um, and so it took me a while to really understand. Um, so when I started to get the flashbacks and I started to put everything together, I again went on Pornhub and found the videos. And at this point, you know, there were <laughs> hundreds more videos. Um, it was, um, it's the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. And so I immediately contacted law enforcement. I immediately reached out to a therapist. I immediately reached out to a psychiatrist. At first, I didn't know what was going on because I was having all these, um, all these memories and flashbacks and nightmares. And, um, you know, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't me. And I knew that I hadn't been myself for a couple of years. Um, so it took a lot of um, cognitive processing therapy um, over a year or more um, to, to, you know, just talk therapy, talking through the things and being able to make sense of what happened to me. Um, I made bad choices. 
Um, there were nights that I would go out and um, over drink and I wouldn't remember anything. And I thought that that was, you know, normal to not remember. I, I kind of blamed myself. Um, I didn't realize that a lot of those times were actually date rapes. And um, I do now. Um, there have been uh, people at the time that were my friends, I thought, um, that put me in situations intentionally where I was taken advantage of. And, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time since I've found all this. Over the last three years, I've spent a lot of time online learning how did this happen to me. Um, you know, I've learned about video editing. I've learned about the different websites where criminals hang out, where they um, where they sell the videos, what they what they do with them, you know. And basically, there's something called the porn edit and re-upload method that uh, that Pornhub still is allowing to this day. So, um, for example, I could take a video of you, and I can do a face swap app and put someone else's face in it and you could never prove that that was you. So some of the videos were were edited. Some of them were face swap. Some of them were, um, and to, to now we're even on to deep fake. So there are um, software companies like um, PIMIs that you can use and you can upload a photo of your face and it will scour the internet and it will show you everywhere that your face matches and so now we're on to deep fake videos. Um, so at this time, to this day, Pornhub still has non-consensual content of me on their website. Um, I have begged them. I, at one point, had even filed a, pro, uh, <clears throat> a lawsuit against them pro se. And that's how I was able to eventually get them to take down the videos. I didn't know at the time... Um, but when they took them down, that meant that they were no longer protected by Pornhub. So um, apparently when you're a model on Pornhub, they go around and they scour the Internet and they make sure that your videos don't appear anywhere else, that no one else is profiting from them. Um, so once those were removed and fingerprinted to prevent them from being re-uploaded, they then popped up on hundreds of other sites across the Web. So... I have spent over the last three years, um, when I say thousands of hours, I'm not exaggerating. I have um, I've spent thousands of hours learning what tools these people are using, how they're doing it. And um, so this to me has been a complete nightmare. Um, when I first came forward in 2020 and I told the police, um, I live in a small town. We don't have a, a sex crimes division. We don't have a cyber crimes division. It's, I mean, there's not even an internal affairs. It's a very small city police, and they had no knowledge of video editing or how anything like that worked. And um, so they didn't believe me in the beginning, um, which my therapist um, and psychiatrist tell me that's a secondary trauma. So, you know, you can imagine um, it's hard enough to come forward about something like this, but then to not be believed on top of that, it was very traumatic for me. Um, and, you know, I have complex PTSD. I have severe recurrent depression from all of this. Um, prior to this, like I said, I, I was 
I was at one job at one law firm. I was a paralegal, a case manager um, for over 17 years. Um, it, it has destroyed my life. Um, I eventually, um, at first, I tried to continue living my life. I didn't want them to win. I didn't. I feel like if I left my job and and crumbled, that they would win. You know, so um, I wanted to fight against it, and I came forward. And the first time was um, at the Canadian uh, Parliament hearing, the ethics hearing into Pornhub or MindGeek, and um, that's the first time that I had ever, you know, testified or, or did anything publicly, letting people know what I went through, and. Um, after doing that, I was still working at my job. I had taken a leave of absence for, I guess, six weeks or so. I got so sick, I had lost like 30 pounds. I couldn't get out of bed. Um, my mom had to come and get me and um, basically took me to her house and um, insisted that I eat something at least three times a day and kind of nursed me back to health. So after that six-week period, I went back to work. I was determined um, that I was not going to let this defeat me. And so um, I worked downtown Nashville, uh, walked to get lunch every day. You know, I know everyone on the streets. We pass each other. It was it was humiliating knowing um, at the time that over eight million people had seen these videos, these non-consensual videos of me. And um, so when you say non-consensual, just to help clarify you're talking about the videos themselves you didn't consent to as well as the uploading of those videos to Pornhub exactly and all the other sites so it's non-consensual on both sides yes and some of them were actually date rape um, which it was on a trip to Las Vegas Nevada and um, I won't spend a lot of time talking about the things that that happened on that trip but um, basically, I was drugged, and I went to my room, and I had told my boyfriend at the time that I was going to the room. I didn't feel well, and um, there was a whole day missing from the trip there that I couldn't account for. There were little signs that I should have known at the time um, that I overlooked, but but some of the videos were were not only non-consensual; they were they were technically rape um, or date rape. So, um, thanks for clarifying that. And I'm, I'm very grief stricken to hear that that happened to you. And I'm very sorry that happened to you. Um, can I ask, were all the videos created of you by the same perpetrator? No. Multiple perpetrators. Yes. So when I first went to the police, there were three people that I told them and one person they called and he admitted to making a video, but said it was a joke and that I knew about it, which was completely a lie. Um, they never contacted the third person, which I have a confession from him in my, in my own text messages. Um, and he tells me that he warned me about the other person, um, the ex-boyfriend. So the ex-boyfriend denies it completely. And now I'm actually in the middle of a defamation lawsuit um, because of this, because of me choosing to speak out against him. Um, you know, it's been, <laughs> it has been a very long, tough He's road. suing you. Yes. Unbelievable. Yeah. So 
of the three perpetrators, were they in collusion with each other or just each was completely random? I believe they were in collusion. Um, Two of them worked together. Mm. And so I have found a lot of things. Um, There are a lot of websites that the average person doesn't frequent. Uh, One of those is an anonymous image board. And so on this this website, there's there's no law enforcement. Um, you can post a picture of someone, and you can um, you can ask for the sauce, which uh, basically is all of the information about them, all of the non consensual content, their address, anything that they have on them. So um, there were things that I have found of me that were posted, um, basically um, encouraging others um, to train me and um, to target me so um, I've I've <laughs> I've spent so much time on there I've seen some pretty pretty sad things and you can go on there um, any day at any time and you will find um, basically people take a photo off of Instagram or Facebook of of someone and they say can you undress this person and they'll undress the person with an app um, they can ask you to deep fake them into a video. And I mean, I have screenshot evidence where they do this to people. Um, so a lot of non-consensual content is, is completely fake. Um, when you look at the possibilities with technology today, open source intelligence technology, um, video editing, um, deep fa- like there's so much that is that is being used by criminals to think that these tools are out there and that criminals aren't using them would be extremely naive. So just hearing that it's happened through like numerous different sources makes me wonder how common this experience might be. In other words, it sounds like it might be more common than people realize. It is definitely a lot more common than people realize. I have had dozens of survivors reach out to me and you know, I would never expose someone that, you know, that didn't want to be exposed. Um, one of them was a gentleman that uh, that I knew as a child. We grew up together, and he had reached out to me and told me that this has happened to him. Um, there are women. Um, there was one woman that was posted, and um, they put her Instagram name with the picture that they posted and asked for her to be deep faked into content. So I had reached out to her with, and I said, hey, you know, this is what was posted. And of course, that's scary to her, you know. So she says, what should I do? And I said, well, you can contact the police, you know, but I, I don't know what they're going to do because it's in an anonymous image board. You know, how can you prove who uploaded it? Um, I would just keep an eye out. And if non-consensual videos of you do pop up, you know, at least you'll have this evidence that that it's deep fake, that it's not you, that, you know, that someone did this to you. Um, but it is very common. Um, one of the women that even testified at the Canadian Parliament, um, it was her husband, and it was named Sleeping Pills. And, you know, she was completely asleep and had no recollection of, of the video even being made. So it's very common. And um, what happens is you take a, an average person, a square, you know, someone that isn't participating in these types of activities and they don't know to watch their drink. They don't think that these things would really ever happen to them, especially not with friends or a boyfriend, people you trust in your life. You don't expect, 
you know, and like I said, when, when I went through what happened to me, I was at such a low place that I was over drinking and self-medicating and, you know, it, I just lost myself completely. And so not remembering the night before didn't raise an alarm with me. I just knew I was in a really bad place. And, um, you know, thankfully I'm not there now. Um, you know, thankfully I've quit doing everything that I was doing then. I don't even go out like that. Um, so, you know, it, it did lead me, um, it made me stronger. It made me face a lot of things. Um, but no one deserves um, this to happen to them. So even though I made mistakes along the way, no one deserves for their worst moments to be memorialized forever on the internet and for others to profit off of it. Most kids have been exposed to pornography by age 13. Some are addicted even as young as six. So how is pornography shaping the lives of impressionable children and adolescents? Our documentary, Raised on Porn, exposes the ways pornography has become the new sex education for children and unpacks the dangerous lifelong implications of this global phenomenon. I was like, this is my chance of actually getting pornography for myself. The film features real stories of childhood exposure paired with experts who weigh in on the reality children are facing. It's absolutely impossible for them to resist this kind of stimulus. It's already garnered millions of views and 93% of viewers polled said it inspired them to be more proactive in protecting their children from porn. You can watch Raised on Porn for free on YouTube or go to raisedonporn.com. So you are a successful career woman, paralegal, credible job, post-divorce, start to get online to date after a few years and meet this individual thinking this is somebody I can let my hair down with, we're in a safe relationship together, and then only later to find out that in some of those intimate moments was not only recording you, but then sharing them to some of these platforms. Yeah, and what happens, like I said, after it's shared is you become a target. You know, there are others that see, you know, it, it, reading the comments that were posted under the Pornhub videos um, helped me learn a lot about how how everything works and, um, that's the thing, you know, when we talk about Pornhub specifically, when I first found these videos, I was falling over in a lot of them. I couldn't hold my head up. I was completely asleep in at least one or two of them. Um, for them to say that they didn't know they were non-consensual, non-consensual is almost laughable. Um, for them to say that they review every video before it goes up is laughable. If they do, that's just an admission of guilt. Um, you know, they, when I first testified before the Canadian parliament, I didn't believe that they were liars. I didn't understand fully how involved they were with what's going on, but now I do. And what they're doing is intentional and they know what's going on and they're profiting from it. And th there's no law that is being enforced 
So why would they stop? They're making billions of dollars off of non-consensual content. It illuminates a couple of things. One, it illuminates the disturbing fact that there's this large demographic of people out there who are actively seeking out this kind of non-consensual content. Almost like this, you know, it's like this sexual piranhas just looking to feed off of anybody's exploitation, which is just horrific and repulsive and disgusting that that is happening in our world right now. Then on the other side of it, the complete lack of an effective moderation system for these massive pornographic websites that are hosting this content like Pornhub. Um, what do you think needs to be done to address that side of it? Um, well, initially I had at the, um, at my testimony at the parliament, I had said that I felt like maybe having production companies oversee the content, you know, getting consent and everything. But I've since learned that a lot of the production companies are complicit. And when you look at, um, you know, Pornhub is being sued for racketeering. This is organized crime. There are professionals involved at many different levels with what's going on. Um, so when you ask me what could what could they do to make their business legitimate? <laughs> I mean, I don't know that you can other than um, not allowing any edited content of any kind and verifying consent, age, and identity for each person appearing in each video. But even then, I mean, you know, how do you verify that a video hasn't been edited? I don't know, you know, can they check the metadata and, and see if a video has been edited? You know, it's, it's a very complex situation. It's, it's so alarming. It's, it's scary to think about how technology has affected our world and the potential for virtually anyone to be exploited and to be put through this life altering trauma that you've experienced. I mean, even if you think about like some of the bigger Hollywood movies that include gratuitous sex scenes and then later, sometimes years later hearing uh, most prom predominantly the actress speak about the conditions in which, under which the sex scenes were taking place, how uncomfortable she felt. Um, there's, you get an understanding that some of these people and even the, you know, highest standard film productions still felt pressured into doing certain things. And in that context, and you can imagine what that pressure must feel like. Well, you're getting paid all this money. Well, look at all these people. Well, it's part of the story. Well, you know, and so all those things are stacked up against the individual who's being, you know, put into these scenes. And so to your point, even the idea of like, well, you know, the idea of a production company has a sound of credibility to it. What I learned when I was investigating the porn industry is that any individual could go out and get a camera, slap a production company label on it, and start 
reaching out to agents to bring girls over to do some of the most um, perverse things. I, I remember this one girl shared a story with me about this guy who she believed she was going to a porn set to shoot a porn scene. It turns out it was this individual who had gone out and bought a camera and had some fantasy of her drinking his pee, of a girl drinking his pee. And so there she is being paid, you know, a few hundred bucks to drink this guy's pee under the pretense and the guise that this is a porn production. So the idea of money and sex and cameras just across the board just sounds like a recipe for human exploitation, for disaster. And on the demand side of it, as I hear your story, I just, I, again, I just feel so repulsed by the knowledge that there are all these individuals out there who are feeding on other people's exploitation. I just hope even as we're having this conversation that people who are listening or watching this will feel the same level of outrage and alarm that I feel because something has to be done to help curb and mitigate the train wreck that our culture has become for future generations. I, I just, I'm so grieved at the thought of my children inheriting this world or anybody's children inheriting this world, this psychopathic, sociopathic, um, violent, degrading, uh, world that we've created and and that's very true and on my path in the last you know two to three years my path of advocacy i've met so many people um some of those um one of them was a former porn star and he had voluntarily you know participated for years in the industry and he shared some of the things that he went through and how you know pressuring like you said um you think you're showing up for a set uh, for one scene and you get there and you find out that you're you're not actually there for that you're there for a lot more than what you thought you were agreeing to and they pressure you at the last minute um, you don't sign a consent form until after it's done and they basically tell you, you won't get paid unless you do this and this and this so I've heard horror stories from so many different people um, and you know Pornhub specifically and and I say Pornhub, but I'm assuming it's all of the major porn sites, you know, they allowed for so long for any video to be uploaded anonymously at, by anyone. And so when you think of how many thousands or hundreds of thousands of videos were out there um, at one point after I think the New York Times article came out, Pornhub supposedly deleted about 80 percent of their content. Shortly thereafter, they also removed the video counter from their website. So you can no longer tell how many videos are on there. And it is my belief, based on what I've seen, that those videos have been re-uploaded. So repopulating the yes. site with the same. Yes. And so those the repopulation may be edited. It may not appear to be exactly the same video. But I find it very ironic that they removed the video counter um, around that same time so that we no longer know how many videos are on their site. I know for me personally, when that article came out in the New York Times uh, with Serena Fleetez, 
the children of Pornhub. That was the first time that I was removed from Pornhub. And I remember being so happy that they, they took it down, but it was later put back up. And I didn't know at the time that there were so many videos. I didn't realize that I had been repeatedly placed in date rape situations. Um, I just knew that I had went through a hard time and I was acting out. I was over drinking. I blamed myself. You know, I made bad choices and I own all of that. Um, But like I said, even making bad choices and not realizing what was happening doesn't mean that I deserve for the rest of my life to be exploited in this way and for other people to profit off of it. So a lot of people have asked me, you know, well, if, if people didn't know it was you, why would you come forward? Um, you know, if, if people did know it was me, the comments made it clear. There were people in my life that were approaching me in strange ways. Um, people knew, and maybe the whole world didn't know. But when I read that article about Serena, that's when I realized that children are stepping up and fighting this fight. Why should children have to step up and fight? You know, I'm a 38-year-old woman. Um, I would rather me carry that burden. And I also felt like by coming forward and just saying, you know what, that is my content. That is me. That did happen to me. It takes away the shame, the power. You can't blackmail me with something if I'm openly owning it and saying, yes, you know, I went through this period and this happened. Um, So it was about taking my power back. And it was also about standing up because children shouldn't shouldn't have to do this. And, um, you know, hers was one of devastation where she ended up homeless and living in her car. And, you know, it it pulled on my heartstrings. And, um, you know, like you said earlier, we shouldn't pass this world on to our children. Uh, The things that we don't fix in this generation are going to be passed down to the next. Um, So I felt compelled to speak out. Um, I didn't know at the time that it would lead to to this journey. I mean, I, I've, I've done a lot over the last three years. I've, um, I've attended symposium in Washington, D.C. I've spoken publicly. I've met with U.S. senators in person and virtually. I've met with, um, I've did a couple podcasts. I um, briefed the White House task force to end um, online harms and harassment. Participated with a nonprofit putting together a landscape report to address this issue. I've, I've done everything that I can at every step to try to fight this, to try to, to bring about change, to try to bring about justice. And I think the biggest problem that we face right now is just naive. People are naive. They don't realize that these things are happening. And when it, when it does happen to you and you're date raped and you find yourself with embarrassing videos, things that you would never do in, in your day-to-day life, you know, it is, it's very shameful and you don't want to come forward and you don't want anyone to know. Um, so for me, I just, I came to the point where I was ready to face it. I was ready to make changes in my life. I wanted to get better. I wanted to, um, you know, stop over drinking, stop putting myself in situations. I connected, um, with my maker and, um, I made a lot of changes in my life. And so, um, Eventually, after going back to work as a paralegal for over a year and walking on the street and facing everyone every day, I just decided that, you know, 
I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't play pretend anymore because I was broken. And, you know, I still, to some extent, am broken inside that, that changes haven't been made. Laws haven't been passed. People continue to be abused and nothing changes. Um, so I resigned from my job because I, I chose to speak out. My employer stood by me through all of this. Um, I guess, you know, when you work for an attorney for, for almost 18 years, you know, you're like family. Um, and there was a lot of respect. And, you know, he allowed me to cry in my cubicle uh, for over a year. Um, but I just, it, it wasn't, I couldn't keep doing it. And I wanted to devote my time to advocacy. Um, I wanted to push more. I wanted to, you know, I guess I was a little naive because I thought it was a little easier than this. Um, but when you get into politics, you start learning a lot. Um, so, you know, at this point in my life, I'm connecting with local nonprofits in my state. Um, I'm still connected federally and I'm still pushing for things like the Protect Act. And there are a lot of child safety bills that that have passed and that are still being pushed forward. Um, and, you know, I'm there for that as much as I can be. But, you know, we, we have to raise our voice and we have to be willing to to accept really what's going on in the world right now. And a lot of people are just naive. They don't think that it's happening. They don't think it could happen to them. But as I said before, if the technology is available, why would a criminal not use it? Right. And and the experience of discovering all these videos and the perpetual dynamic of one popping up here. Maybe you get one removed here, but then another one pops up here. It's like this never-ending game of whack-a-mole, but centered around something that's so vulnerable, so exploitative, so violating. And um, can you describe what that feels like the ongoing nature of this kind of repeated trauma being invoked as this is out here and here and yeah so um as i said there are videos to this day still on pornhub um hundreds of me and um I, i quit looking because what's the point you know um but as far as the ones that i found first um they have been fingerprinted and removed from pornhub I went and learned how, on my own, how to contact, how to look up who's hosting a website, how to contact the webmaster, how to contact the owner, and to try to get the content removed. I went through, I believe there were over 200 websites um, that those videos were on after they came off of um, of Pornhub. And I spent a lot of time, um, and it used to scare me. It used to terrify and it would it would break me down every time it was like re-traumatizing myself. Um, and, you know, those around me that cared about me, like, you know, my family and friends, they would say, you know, stop looking, stop looking. You couldn't, you know, you're so mortified by the existence of this content. Um, but I reached a point after after getting all of the Vicky list down that I could. Um, I reached a point where I accepted that, you know. The people that are seeking out this content, the people that are watching it, the people that know my story that go looking for it, that's on them. That's their shame to carry. I've admitted to, you know, to my 
faults in allowing myself to get to this situation. Um, and if someone chooses to violate me, they're going to. And I mean, when you look at the dark web and all the things that are out there, for me to think that I could scour the internet and remove all of my abuse, it's just, it's impossible. So I, I stopped being ashamed. I own the fact that this is a part of my past. You know, this is the body that God gave me. This is the path that I apparently was chosen to, to walk. And um, I'm going to continue walking it with my head held high because I didn't choose this. I never voluntarily made any video with anyone in my entire life. So the shame is not mine to carry. And I want to to remind other women that because these videos, you know, they'll never be down off the Internet. Um, but at least maybe someday there will be justice. Um, you know, you look at, um, what was it, the Girls Do Porn case, and um, the the, offend, the low-level offenders that were running the operation, they were imprisoned. Um, but during that time period, it's my understanding that those victims confronted Pornhub, told them it was non-consensual, asked for them to be removed. Now, our federal sex trafficking laws are very clear, knowingly profiting from sex trafficking content is a crime in itself. So I don't understand why, why these executives who chose not to remove sex trafficking content continued to profit off of it. Why is this law not being enforced? Why are they not being held accountable? When you look at the uh, that hearing that happened in Canada with the um, you know the Canadian Parliament, um, nothing. Nothing came from that. I mean, no one was arrested. Nothing has changed. So why is nothing being done? You know, that's that's my question. Absolutely. And uh, I'm very grateful that you are speaking out and that you're advocating on behalf of yourself and others and the general technology through which all of this exploitation is happening because I really don't think people are aware generally of how vulnerable we are now in this world of being in a, put in a similar position. And for the people who may be listening or watching this podcast, just my encouragement is put yourself in Vicki's shoes, put yourself in the shoes of somebody who has been in a similar situation. Um, we all at times have acted outside of our integrity or our character. We all have at times let our hair down in ways that could have subjected us to similar mistreatment um, and exploitation. And, um, and we all, you know, even just through the technology piece of face swapping and, and we all are vulnerable, we all are at risk. And we have to stop pretending like this is somebody else's problem somebody else's issued that poor person over here and realize this is something that we all are facing right now. And, um, thankfully there, there are answers legislatively. Um, we're doing a lot of activism, um, around legislation that needs to be passed to bring an end to all of this and to bring accountability to perpetrators. And so for that, I just commend you. I thank you our whole team at Exodus Cry supports you, and we're, we're really grateful to have partnered with you in this fight, and we'll continue to do so. And um, 
Any last thoughts before we wrap this up? Um, just to speak on what you just said, the, the victim blaming and the victim shaming, I have experienced that. And, um, you know, um, it's one of those things that um, if it hasn't happened to you, it has happened to someone you know, and they may not be speaking about it um, out of shame. It could easily be you. Um, you know, where I was before this happened, um, I would have never thought that I would have allowed myself to get in a situation like this. Um, so, and like I said before, a lot of the decisions that I made were because of the trauma that I went through. And so when you go through trauma, you don't realize unless, unless you've been through something like that, um, it can change you and it can make you act out and not not even realize what's going on um so i I appreciate you guys you know um when i first discovered that i wasn't alone um you know it was uh that article on serena fleetes it was exodus cry it was the national center on sexual exploitation it was all these all these nonprofits. i finally realized that i wasn't alone and you know so i'm just as much appreciative for you all as you are for me. We're in this together. And yeah, thank you again. I want to welcome anybody who, again, is listening to this, watching this podcast to join with us in this fight. Um, you can, most of you are, but you can follow us at Exodus Cry. And um, we're constantly posting calls to action. And Vicki, any where people can connect with you around this? Or? Um, well, I did set up a website, uh, justiceforvictoriagaily.com. I do have a petition on change.org um, with over 17,000 signatures. You know, So yeah, there are ways um, that people can connect. And like I said, I've had survivors reach out. So if there are any survivors that you know just need to talk and, and need someone to, to talk it through and find resources, you know, I am there for those people. Awesome. Thank you, Vicki. And yeah, I look forward to continuing to work with you. All right. Well, thank you. You can check out all our podcast episodes, articles, and films at ExodusCry.com and join the daily conversation by following Exodus Cry on all major social platforms.